Welcome to the First Five Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Corey, and I'm joined by my co-host, Drew Gotro. And today in the studio, we've got a longtime coming guest, uh, big, big player in the scene, hosts comedy shows, been on some good book shows, good friends with the folks out in Lake Charles and some shows out there as well. Please welcome to the podcast, Garrett Abair. Hey, thank you so much for having me, y'all. I've been a long time listener. I love the pod. Love the pod. <laughs> Very cool, man. You know, when you were when we were getting ready to start, we were talking about I think I asked you, how was the drive? Just naturally thinking about you coming from Baton Rouge, but I know where you live. And yeah. so you, you, you're you a Lafayette boy. But we were talking about how you kind of have like dual citizenship. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's that like? Yeah, it's a weird it's a weird dynamic. Right. And I have a lot of people in Baton Rouge who also forget that I live in Lafayette and I just travel every, like I travel past two bridges just to get there. (laughs) And it's, it's one of those things where I don't know, people, people think that I'm going to be going from Lafayette and I'm like, I'm a Lafayette comic. And some people think that I'm a, I'm a Baton Rouge comic. I mean, I've always considered myself a a Lafayette comic, Mm -hmm. uh, at heart. That's, I mean, this is where I've started and this is, I started at the beer garden. Um, and then just slowly kind of kept going to Baton Rouge and then ended up inheriting the, the station host, Mm -hmm. um, gig. And so a lot of people who start with Baton Rouge, they kind of come in and, uh, they just, assume I've always been a Baton Rouge guy, you know? For sure. So. And I think the fact that you took that gig says a lot, because it, for one thing, it says that the station and the Baton Rouge scene is worth commuting out there and, and committing yourself to kind of having to go out there every week and do that show. Because it's a long show. You have a lot mm-hmm. of comics that come out. And it also says kind of like where you are at about caring about comedy. You know, it mm-hmm. kind of like it's it's certainly a step in the right direction of kind of stating where how you... how your relationship to comedy that you're willing to take a travel hosting gig. So, well, well, I was going to say, it's like, yeah, it's like whenever I first uh, started doing comedy, I mean, as we all kind of do in our comedy careers, we were just trying to get our feet wet. Mm -hmm. You know, you get exposed to this big world of comedy. You want to go ahead, do as many sets as you possibly can try to, crack this code that is comedy as soon as you can because your thought is oh i'm gonna do comedy for two months i'm gonna blow up and then i'm gonna go start touring or something like that and of course we all know we all get humbled really quickly Mm -hmm. when we realize this is going to take a lot longer than we thought it will so i was just trying to find every mic i could possibly go to and at the time when i started comedy we were just fresh out of covid so i'm about two years I've been doing comedy for about two years now, I want to say, maybe a little more than two years. So so any advice I give, just know, like, y'all are the freshmen of comedy. I'm like a sophomore, you know, I'm like, oh, I got it all figured out. I'm the sophomore. I know what's up. But really, I, I have no clue what's going on either. You know, Although I feel like y'all have probably graduated at this point into uh, the next level of comedy, if that makes sense. Ne- next level of not knowing what we're doing. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's how I feel. You yeah. know enough to know that you yeah. don't know enough. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, when I start to feel good about it, uh-huh. start to... and then you have a night that, hey, look, that the comedy uh, gods. lets you know. Those comedy gods, they, they, they give you a little something, they give you that little carrot on the stick, they make you feel good, and as mm-hmm. soon as you start to get a little confidence, a little ego boost, they love to just take it away yeah. from you. <laughs> but uh, no, just to answer your question though, uh, Baton Rouge, uh, so I mean, I just kept going out there, because at the time, all they had was the worst beer garden, uh, that was the only really mic they had, uh, Jacob and like Charles wasn't really doing too much, uh, so if I wanted to do more than one mic a week, I had to travel to Baton Rouge 
uh, mm-hmm. slowly made friends with everybody, kind of uh, assimilated into the community. And then, uh, lucky enough, I, I was just so consistent at it, they decided to give me the, the hosting job. Yeah. Now, I've noticed, uh, I've talked to a lot of hosts about this. We all, it's kind of a, I guess it's beating a dead horse at this point, but when you host, do you find that it's hard to work on your material, like the balance? Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah, because you, you kind of want to make sure that the 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 show gets started on the right foot. You, you want to go ahead and do some jokes that you know are at least going to have some kind of well reception. You know, you don't want to be doing some experimental like, what the hell was that? That was right. so dumb. I think Tyler does a phenomenal job. He, he you know, he does his great host sets. He kind of gets people in the mood and stuff like that. So, you know, for me, it's more about um, just kind of I'll probably do more. I hate to use the word, but more crowd worky type stuff where I'm kind of just engaging the audience, trying to get everybody's attention to the stage mm-hmm. for the uh, comedy show they're about to see. Mm-hmm. And usually in my normal sets, I don't like to do crowd work stuff. It's more I want to do the stuff I've prepared, if that right. makes sense. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, now, the, the the station mic, I think, is kind of known for its volume. It's kind of mm. like a Mexican restaurant, like they're just moving people through there so quick. So uh, do you ever find that you're like tempted to cut the list off at some point? Because I know it's not uncommon for there to be like 30 comics mm-hmm. and for there to do maybe like three minute sets, four minute sets, depending on how many people. Do you guys do five minute sets that that much? Very rarely. Okay. Uh, I couldn't tell you the last time we've done a five minute set. Yeah. Uh, typically it's four minutes, sometimes three. If we if we start to hit that 30 to 35 people mm-hmm. mark, it, it just gets a little crazy. Uh, we've been kind of cracking down on people being on time mm-hmm. uh, we say you know if, you, if you're not going to be there by 8 30 or 8 45 to at least you know message somebody let them know to put you on the list because mm-hmm. we don't want people coming in uh, after the show started going you know hey can i get on the list it's like right. no i mean you you, you got to be here and also i think it's just important for comics in general i think the hang uh before and after is important and you you know there needs to be a level of professionalism i think mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah, I mean, we, we've turned people away only because they weren't punctual. But um, honestly, I, I pride ourselves in having a low barrier of entry. Uh, I won't turn anyone away who wants to do a set, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as long as they sign up on time. Sure. Um, you know, they could be crazy. And, and mm-hmm. you know, I'll say, hey, look, get up there, get on stage, see what you got. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... <laughs> Back when I first took it over, we had maybe about seven or eight signups, and now it's starting to get to that 25, 30. And so, yeah, cutting down time. It's, it's that yin and yang, but it's mm-hmm. kind of needed because I find most comedy audiences only have about two hours of comedy in the tank. Right. Uh, if you go start to go past that, it's way too much. Mm-hmm. They get fatigued. I think, honestly, the sweet spot is an hour and a half, an hour 45 mm-hmm. for a, a full-on comedy show. Yeah, and if you're going to keep around that threshold but also keep the barrier low, then you just got to give everybody less time, and it's just it, the only exactly. way you can do it. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of competitive places out there. I mean, Drew, haven't you – I know you watch a lot of podcasts. And, and kill Tony and stuff like that, or, or situations where I think you would probably back me up on this. That there, some of the bigger open mics and ones that are bigger opportunities, especially ones in larger markets, they they give shorter time slots, don't they? Yeah, that's what I've been told. Yeah, a lot of shorter time slots, or even if it is, 
not shorter. I've heard that, you know, in some scenes, people aren't, they're not friends like we are, mm -hmm. you know, like people are, they, people are competition and none of us, I don't feel like we really see each other that way. No, absolutely. I, I, that's what I really love. I mean, honestly about Baton Rouge and Lafayette and the Lake Charles scene um, specifically is that I feel like we really work to, to build each other up. I mm -hmm. uh, find we're very open to new comics uh, even if they don't get a good reception right away, I feel like the amount of people who are out there who want want to coach them to get to get better, to stick around, uh, to get through those initial uh, humps of comedy, I think it's phenomenal. And I think it speaks to how many people we have on the scene now that we maybe didn't have two years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. We like to see people put in the work. Yeah. Yeah. And then if and then when it's a lot more beneficial to have for people around you to do well. Mm -hmm. It kind of, it pushes you too, you know? Oh, absolutely. We get better as a unit. That's what I love about this place, man. It, it really is something special mm -hmm. compared to like, say like an LA scene yeah. or even some of the, the Texas scenes I've kind of noticed. They, they, they go on their smoke breaks the entire time until it's time for them to go up. But mm -hmm. no, I love the uh, camaraderie that we have here. It's something special. Yeah. And I think you do a pretty good job of consistently trying to foster that. Like anytime I've gone out to the station, you always make sure to remind all the comics like, Hey, why don't you come inside and watch your, your comrades do their work, you know? Uh, and which I think is great. And I know that people are going to differ on that. I, 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 I don't know, maybe it's just church background, but I, the whole like idea of like, let's all support one another kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know, that's, that's sort of something that, that it's more familiar to me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I can, I can kind of get with you on that. Yeah. Um, yeah I see both sides of it too. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Some, but that's the thing, like you said, a lot of the time, the reason, like if people are outside, it has a lot to do with like how good the scenes are. It's because they, they want to, they want to spend as much time hanging and talking as they can mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah and not be disruptive to the comedian inside but understand what it's like when you're in there yeah. there's nobody just no one in the room it sucks no absolutely and i mean we could either have uh, a night where everybody's in everybody's attentive and we've all been on an open mic where it's just been electric right the air is electric everyone's laughing the crowd's into it the comics are into it uh, everyone's inside just listening to the next person and, and person after person is just it's killing like we just had like that thursday this past thursday i feel mm -hmm. like everybody that went up that night did amazing mm -hmm. and i think part of that is just people just listening in staying attentive being ready to, to yeah. hear what's being said so it's like you could either have a, a night where everybody wins because everybody's paying attention or having fun or you could have everybody divided and then it's not you know yeah. as cool of a night i just i just don't want them to kind of i don't want them to really push it too hard yeah because you see uh, people come in on their own really yeah you know yeah because I that's the thing is like i don't want in the back of my mind I don't like the idea of this captive audience. <laughs> yeah. and, you know what I mean? Hostage by comedy. Yeah, I don't like. I don't want to do comedy to hostages. Yeah, you know? I, I get what you're like. De yeah. It definitely has to be organic. And then, I'll be t and then when it goes bad, I'll be just like, oh, well, they wouldn't want to be in there anyway, you know? Yeah. When really it's just I did poorly. No, yeah, you don't want to lash out at the comics being outside. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll go out and I'll be like, all right, y'all, we're getting this comedy train rolling. That's the metaphor I always use at the station because, you know, it's a giant train cart. Like, let's, <laughs> let's, we're getting 
getting this comedy train. We're pulling it out the station. Everybody, get your asses yeah. in here. Support your fellow comedian. Come on, let's have a good time. But people are going out to smoke break, shoot the shit. I'm not gonna, you know, police on them. I I'll, get it. I opened up for Dan St. Germain, uh-huh. and I watched him walk out during my set. So I think it kind of um, made me not so sensitive to comedians <laughs> not watch. Like, well, these big people are doing it, you know. <laughs> and I was, I was like two months in, I was like, yeah. I'm, yeah. This, right. this dude's going to see how funny I am. And he watched for a little while, and then he just went out the door. Yeah. like. <laughs> and also just to kind of speak to it, just, you yeah. know, we're, we're all in the scene. You know, a lot of times we're working on uh, a lot of the times the same jokes, mm-hmm. trying to, and maybe just with some slight variants. So, you know, if you know someone who's going to probably say a lot of the same jokes, and it's like, well, I've, I've heard this person say this a thousand times. Like, I, I get why people, you know, decide mm-hmm. to, to, to head on out for a mm-hmm. little bit, maybe take a smoke break, you know. But yeah. um, I don't know. I just I just like to see when we're all together. I feel like together yeah. we're we're stronger than if when we're separated. You know, yeah, for sure. That's just my mentality. But you're right. Don't yeah. don't crack that. And I think <laughs> it's a because I'm both of those people. Mm-hmm. There's sometimes I'm outside. Oftentimes I'll be outside most of the show, and then other times I'm in there and I'll watch till the end. Yeah, and it's just a move. Sometimes I I got to get out of there. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost too much comedy you can take, especially when yeah, you do it just, night after night. Yeah, yeah, or it's just there's, I need some air. Yeah, no, I feel that. My, I will pull the shoot right away if the person on stage is just really, really awkwardly bad. Mm-hmm. Like some people love that, and I totally understand. But it's just, oh, I feel it too much. You know, physically yeah. when someone th- when it's that awkward. I'll just step out for a minute and come back. That cringe. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like we, we can all be kind of guilty of that. Yeah. I've, um, I was really guilty of that as well when I first started doing comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I see someone that would, would not do so well. I'm like, oh, here we go. This person's going up on right. stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, now I've been at it for about two years now. I've, I've kind of humbled myself because I've seen those same people who are always like, oh, man, this person's coming up on stage. And then I slowly see them progress and get better and mm-hmm. better and better until they have the audience in the palm of their hands. And so it's like amazing to see these people grow and develop so i kind of like seeing the bad comedians because now i'm just like instead of me like oh gosh this is going to be cringy i'm like yeah this will probably be bad but i can't wait to see where this person is in a year mm-hmm. and how how much they develop and almost take like this mental snapshot of where they are yeah so at yeah. least that's that's my um thought mm-hmm. on the matter for sure yeah i dig that too so drew you had mentioned uh you had a set recently Right. Uh, yeah. This was, uh, I think it was the thing they did Tuesday night at Artmosphere. Yeah. Tuesday night, Jacob did his review show, kind of like a Kill Tony thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were supposed to do something new, not necessarily brand new, but something you're working on. So I brought a joke that I was working, that I had only really did one time, but I never wrote it down. And I was hosting second half, so no one's paying attention. And then I kind of worked on it, but I only really worked on it a little bit that day. And when I did it, it's like still way too long mm-hmm. to where I didn't even really get to the punchline. And there's a whole, like I had some tags in the beginning and then there's this big long part where I don't say anything funny. I'm like listing things because I'm trying to like, I'm trying to drive it into the audience's head, like a certain, get them to think of a certain thing or make a certain point. But then it doesn't have a punchline big enough at the end of it, mm-hmm. 
which is just part of the process. But I was like, I thought about it. I was like, that's not a good time to do it, though. Like, even though I understood the idea behind it. But then it's like when you have someone out of town on the panel and stuff like that, and they've never seen you before, Mm -hmm. it's not really a good time to bring out. A, a very very new joke right yeah so i figured in the in the future i mean it's one thing if i'm just working out at an open mic and uh i've really got to work out this joke mm-hmm. but there's a whole thing this is a, a there's banter and everything i couldn't i couldn't do any of the bantering i mean even jacob kind of after my time was up he let me kind of get to the end of it which uh-huh. they weren't letting anyone do to where he, it's almost like it made me feel like it, that's how disappointed he was. Like, I'm going to give you a little bit longer to try to save yourself here. Mm-hmm. And I did it. And then, uh, <laughs> and then it's like, I was not, I couldn't get that out of my head. So then all my rhythm was thrown off, you know, I've, mm-hmm. been, I've there. been able to be good on my feet before. And I was not at all. I would say drew, you're good on your feet most of the time, especially yeah. like when I've seen you get up there and like host, like your ability to just get up there and take almost anything that happens and turn it into a hilarious punchline or a great moment. Yeah, that's fun. Sometimes I look forward to that more yeah. than uh, more than doing us working out a set. And to kind of go back for, uh, I mean, the Tuesday night, uh, something to keep in mind was the whole goal was to do two new minutes. It was kind of the kind of the point was for yeah. it to kind of be a little rough and shaky and the, not worked out the kinks. Well, what, that was the point. One you thing know? that did happen, though, is there were a few people that originally weren't on that show. <laughs> Myself included. And that were supposed to do the um, the open mic after. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have, they weren't prepared for it. Yeah. And some of them did like their best shit. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, it's, so it makes it look uneven. You know what I mean? I know. Like we're not all doing the same thing, which I didn't blame any of those people. Uh-huh. Because they didn't, they no. were coming signing for. I can't, you know what I mean. In, yeah. in that moment, whatever they they weren't prepared. They had to do whatever they could do. So I'm not blaming any of those people for doing that. Yeah, but just like you but, shouldn't blame yourself for doing two brand new minutes that you wrote and tried to fine tune that yeah. day, and it didn't go knock it out the park like some joke that you've been working months on. Yeah, you know, I, like I, I think give yourself ba- more credit. Looking you back know? now. I would have went somewhere closer to in the middle. I would have did a newer joke. I wouldn't have went do like the old, like the this is gonna kill him shit. Mm-hmm. But I would have did something new that was a little bit more worked out than it was. Mm-hmm. Because I mean it. And then I figured. And then whenever I looked at it later, and I was like, I don't need to list all these things. I can just kind of sum up in like three sentences because to get the point across. I'm trying to get across. I don't have to go through this big old long list. The bit's too long for no reason. People are losing. Pe- people stop listening, you know? So it sounds like yeah. those two minutes you did that night were not a waste of time at all. And it was great you did it because you learned something from it. Yeah, I think I would have still learned it if I would have did it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, know. I think there was, a less, positive, there was a less painful way I could have learned it. <laughs> I know. Know. But sometimes we need those painful moments, And then I don't right? even know now if I'm going to keep the joke. I might keep it. Basically what it is is I'm making a joke about, and it came from a conversation like with my brother-in-law uh-huh. where you know we were talking about Top Gun. 
And I was like, yeah, the movie's kind of gay. And he got, like, defensive about it. And yeah. I thought that was weird because I was like, dude, how are you going to – you don't notice anything gay about this movie? You can be my wingman anytime. Yeah, I, I mean, f- that's yeah. chugging cock. Yeah, I, mean, I had a few funny tags in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. But the whole thing was, like – and I'm going to give the joke away, but I don't care. Uh, but I was saying – it was, like, his argument was, like, but that's just a small part of the movie. Uh-huh. And then I list, like, this the manliest day you can have – but then at the end of the day, you go have a homosexual experience. Mm-hmm. The next day, you can't be like, there's nothing gay about yesterday. <laughs> you know? like. But I, I take too long saying it. But at the time, I had when I was saying it, and there was all these people around, and I had I had painted the picture that way. Like, I went through, look, you wake up in the morning, you yeah. have this, and I just I listed all these really, like, I'm the manliest day ever, and then put that at the end. And it... Everyone laughed so hard at it. And at the time, it sounded like the rhythm of it. Like, I remember thinking, like, that sounds the rhythm of a bit. Like, yeah. that, like the, even the way I said it just now, like, it's got beats. Yeah. And it does. But the difference is when you're talking, when you're being funny off stage and you're just talking to people. Yeah, it's You have a luxury different. of time because they're going to listen. Yeah. When you're on stage, you don't have the luxury of time. Yeah. You're, you have an expectation to entertain. Mm-hmm. And if you go too long without giving them what you're supposed to give them, they start tuning out. You know? Yeah. No, oh, yeah. Uh, we're all guilty of that. You're not the only one. But I've, I might, I've had that as well all the time. I don't know. I might try it for a little while. But at the same time, I might want to drop it because then it, it seems like I'm doing like, or I don't want anyone to think I'm. Or to come off like I'm doing like a Shane Gillis impression or whatever. Gotcha. Yeah. Where, you know, where I'm just like, that's gay. I think that, I don't think like that's the punchline of the joke. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, uh, if you want my honest opinion, I don't think you should just throw it away. I think, I think it has legs from what I heard on the two minutes. I mean, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Everything that you said about it is valid, but I mean, I think it's a, it's a good bit that definitely has some legs to it. You yeah, know? for sure. I say, it's I got work, it work needs it a lot of editing. Yeah. But, but you said something that's interesting to me, and I think it's something that's different from how my brain operates, which is uh, getting rid of it, th- throwing away a bit. Do y'all find that y'all just kind of throw away bits? Like if you find that if a bit does not work, you just kind of toss it away and never use it again? Or do you ever kind of just put it on the back burner and maybe you'll find something later that completes that bit? Because I'm like a hoarder of bits. I never throw away anything. I'll say yes and no. Okay. Because sometimes I'll be like, this this bit's no good. It's trash. Uh Uh-huh. But there's no way to throw away a bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's always there. Yeah. So it's like, even if you crumple up the paper it's written on and throw it away. Yeah. There's been bits that I've, I've like, threw away. Like, I'm, I don't like it anymore. I'm not doing it, and mm-hmm. I've done them. Yeah. Just eventually at some point, like, you know what? Let me just try it again. Okay. Yeah. There are sort of corners in your mind that are so dark and deep that they fe- they might as well be a trash can. But And so I've got jokes that are basically occupying that space. But because I write everything down, mm-hmm. every once in a while, I'm just like, oh, yeah that's there if i could ever figure out a way to like rework that completely yeah uh like i've got a joke that i just recently redid and i i did it in new orleans and i i was surprised that it went over well there 
but it was it was the the joke started out as me because I remember telling it at the station and it kind of like mm, tepid response from the crowd, uh, and it was about cats and it was about how my wife. And my daughter keep like taking home. There's new strays popping up here all the time. And they mm-hmm. want me to like tame them and like take them in as pets. And then I get all, I, cause I remember I posted on Facebook one day, my whole, just a picture of my hands covered in scars. So the joke is, you know, that, uh, I'm like a domestic abuse victim. <laughs> yeah. I love that premise. Pet. Yeah. yeah. I like and so that I'm making excuses when I'm at work. Like, you don't understand. He's a really good cat, you know, and it's, <laughs> it's an old cliche from the battered wife thing. Yeah. And it's like, people don't know that. Like I grew up in a household where that was common. They don't know that I'm, they just, it looks like I'm punching down on, on domestic abuse victims. Yeah. It's, it's a great joke. It's, it's relatable. The whole thing. Everyone knows what like wives bringing home animals and you don't want these animals. And mm-hmm. but then sometimes you fall in love with them and then the cats are sons of bitches. <laughs> And then, like you said, the the whole thing about equating it, like making the similarities about like domestic abuse, it's it's just edgy enough where it's palatable. You know what I mean? Right. Where you can you can still do that in a you could go in, on a clean show and you could probably still do that, and it's not going to be so far out there that right. people are offended. Or you could do it in front of. Old people. Well, I don't know. I've found since doing comedy, there's a lot of really old people that will laugh at some dirty oh, shit. Oh, absolutely. Dude. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. The thing about that cat joke that I thought was interesting was that it wasn't working because I was waiting until the very end, right before the punchline, to say it's like a domestic abuse victim and then hit him with the punchline. Yeah. It's like this really jarring, off putting thing that I brought up. And then they're immediately supposed to laugh afterwards. They don't even know really whether I'm even coming down on a good side of that topic. Yeah. So when I introduce the domestic abuse thing very as, early as you in go, it, as you go through mm-hmm. the joke and then yeah. give him some time to see that I'm actually going in a cutesy direction uh-huh. with the joke. Yeah. And then when I hit him with the punchline, then it works. Yeah. Yeah. Someone recently they called it like padding the joke or yeah, yeah, absolutely. Instead of like, Oh, ah, domestic abuse buzzword. Ouch. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So just spacing that out, just giving people some room, like an off ramp or an on ramp. But it's just so much. I, I just love the mechanics of jokes. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It's a great. It's a great recipe and everything. Like you don't have to punch them in the face. You know, it's like, Absolutely. like garlic is good as long as you don't have too much garlic. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. It's not overpowered. You need the right amount. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So uh, Lane Long, y'all, he's, he was like a pioneer of, of comedy in Lafayette from, from what I understand. And he was a guest panelist on yeah that. that was the, that's the the, the reason guy, yeah. i think bombing hurt the most yeah. because <laughs> because of the because he was there yeah right he's never yeah. seen me do stand-up yeah so i wanted it didn't have to since we were doing new stuff it, i didn't have to like wow him and show him the best thing but i mean it's one of the worst things i showed him and he, he even said he's like you don't need all that other bullshit and I'm like, last time I did that show, I was on panel. I told someone that too. Yeah, it's like this is like this is yeah his first introduction. It's like his first impression of me. It's yeah. like, gosh dang, I hate myself. <laughs> and then I'm crying to shower. And, and I was beating myself no, so much. I, I was beating I myself up in my head so much while I was up there. Uh huh. Which that's another mistake I made. I should have been able like whatever happened just happened and just oh, be yeah. in the moment mm-hmm. but i kept thinking and then i'm like trying and then i did a thing where i was like i'm gonna save it and i threw out like a roast joke at jacob that uh-huh. i hadn't really thought i kind of just threw it up in the moment and it bombed hard and it was a bad joke dude real bad joke not good at all and i threw it out into where even jacob was like is is that a bad thing to be or something <laughs> like, <I'm honest laughs> like i'm so confused <laughs> yeah uh. yeah 
So, uh, yeah, it was just, I feel like I pref- overall performed bad. Mm-hmm. It was an anomalous. No. Was I mean, I had a couple laughs in the, um, during the little interview part, but, uh, it was sort of an anomaly because, uh, cause I remember like we found out, I think a little bit beforehand that Lane had at least heard the podcast before. Right. And he knew who you were. Yeah. I found out from Jason a while back. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't so, know him until that night, to be honest with you. So. so we knew he was a guy that they knew that was used to be part of our scene. Mm-hmm. It was a good comic. And then he had, was aware of the podcast. And I think Drew was like, didn't you tell me you had like some good stuff queued up for the uh, for the interview portion? Yeah, I figured just like, well, stuff you could like for like uh like not to do material, just like comebacks and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And then once I got up there, I was like, I don't have. I don't trust my timing or delivery to after, especially after that first roast joke went bad on Jacob. I was like, I, I don't think I, I can perform these jokes right now. And I was like, and I liked them. I was like, those two, those jokes are too good for me to fucking disgrace them. Right. <laughs> like yeah. to throw them out right now. <laughs> it was like, weird. Yeah. I'm keeping them to myself. Yeah. No, it was a different type of night. It, it was a hard night to predict. I mean, have you been on roast battles before drew? Uh, I want to say, yeah, you've been on. No, I've done oh, a okay. roast. Okay. And I've done like, we've done that, the review before. Yeah. I've been in situations. I've been in shit talking situations, mm-hmm. but not a straight roast battle. Yeah. And if it makes you feel any better, I um I also his name's Lane, was mm-hmm. it? Yeah, I, I called him a great value, Jared Leto. And instead of laughs, I got like the oh and he was like, Wait, that was funny. Yeah, that was the best roast yeah, of the night. Got I was more. just like, ah, yeah, dang. Got more. That's that's the worst when you go for a roast and you're hoping for laughter, but people are like, Oh, too much. I'm like, Great value, Jared Leto, really? Yeah, that was yeah. like super tame, but also really good. Uh, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I think he he was just really funny. Yeah. So I guess people were <laughs> too much on his side because he so. was he that's was destroying good, me. Right, that's a no, good, he yeah. did well that night. Yeah, yeah, that's really. Um, I behind the scenes, we knew that the judges were all kind of like looking forward to being like, "Oh, I'm gonna be super mean. I'm gonna wrestle." So I went into it thinking like, "Okay, I just need to be humble because I cannot compete with it." Like when it comes to roasting, I'm just. I'm, I'm no good at it. So I was like, I'm just going to have to go in there, humble, try to do a good job and accept whatever roasting that I've got coming to me. <laughs> um, so I, I think we all kind of walked in with it being prepared for that. And then maybe it's the audience that just didn't realize that there's a nice jib jab kind of. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It wasn't, there's a certain point mm-hmm. where it's not the right time. Like your set went too good. First of all, yeah, you had for anyone set. to roast you. And well, then, I, yeah, I appreciate that. And then um, most of the roast really, for us, it's more like they don't really work if people don't know more about you. Yeah, it's true. We're unknowns. Yeah. That's like most, I think most of our roast we throw out is uh, kind of inside ish. Yeah, where it's, if it's not in the right context, it's, it might be harder to be funny. Yeah. You don't look, you don't have, people can just roast me and they never met me before. You know, you don't have nothing funny that looks about you, you don't talk weird. Well, yeah, I think that what people see is like, oh, why is this guy trying so hard? Because like, you know, like if somebody was if you look like Brad Pitt, you don't have to try. And then other people are like, I'm yeah, trying true. to do something. That's and it's true. I make funny clothes a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
now that I think about it, yeah. That's a, that's a weird thing though about like trying trying hard or like trying to be a try hard or something like that. It's like mm-hmm. how you're perceived compared to the jokes you want to tell, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's two different things. Like Drew, I'll tell you, you do a phenomenal job about like knowing like how you initially come across in first impressions and kind of like incorporate that into uh, your jokes mm-hmm. and to where you make like punchlines like really pop because like people kind of have this preconceived notion looking at you how you're going to be and sometimes you feed into that but sometimes you subvert expectation which makes it even more funny yes and i think that's amazing for you and and michael i've seen you really uh come into your own with this Mm-hmm. Because you've kind of, uh, it's almost like you kind of treat comedy like a Rubik's cube, mm-hmm. and you're just trying to solve the code for it That's to see true. where you know where where you kind of fall into it, how people perceive you, how mm-hmm. you can feed into that, right. how you can take that, but then also be your own full authentic self. Mm-hmm. And I gotta say, like within the past few months, I've really seen you start to hit that stride, and yeah. it's starting to show. And like, I mean, your laughs per minute, mm-hmm. people like really being more engaged with you yeah. in general, man, I really starting to see you, you come into that lately. Yeah. I appreciate that, man. I've been feeling it, but it's, it's weird when you, you just, the effort level has been maintained, but mm-hmm. sometimes that sometimes you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah. You know, so when you get some traction you can feel it. It's hard to get yourself in the right headspace sometimes. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I find is if you're not, if you're, if you're not having fun, Mm-hmm. Or at least good enough at it to make it look like you're having fun. Yeah, it's it's you're probably not going to yeah. do well. And also, if you're not having fun, it's hard to be funny. Yeah, yeah. Like if you're, not, I mean, obviously you're going to have bad nights. But if you're not in general having fun, why do comedy? Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah. yeah. True. Especially at open mic level. Yeah, but sometimes it gets that way. Yeah, sometimes yeah, if you're, you're, right. you're going to be so into what you're doing and wanting it to do well. Mm-hmm. I haven't had it happen to me, and I forget. Mm-hmm. to have fun yeah and then i'm like having like weird sets and stuff and i'm yeah, yeah. like yeah i'm th- i'm all in my head about the shit yeah. you can't it, that's not a recipe to be funny and then it could yeah. feed into itself and then you go through periods of that and you're just trying to bear the the stormy weather for some sunny days later yeah. on yeah yeah no absolutely i think that's part of being a comedian honestly yeah a lot yeah. of it's psychological it. abuse yeah embracing the yeah. shit enjoy <laughs> the suck yeah and then Get out yeah. there and try again. Man, we're really getting into the, the truth of it right now. Yeah. Uh, and Drew has said that to me before many times. He said to just kind of like put up with me being down in the dumps and being like, man, if you're not like, you got to be having fun. Yeah. And I kept hearing that and being like, I know he's right. But I think what I figured out was I was telling, I've started to have like a little bit of like comedy autism for a while where I was like, I thought I knew what was funny. I tried a bunch of things and none of them worked. Mm -hmm. So now I'm like, Oh, I have a massive blind spot. I can't see. I don't know what's funny. So I've just got to feel my way around in the dark and say things that I don't even necessarily think are funny. Cause half the time when people are laughing at other comics, I don't really think they're that impressive. So maybe I'm the fucked up one and I need to, I'm going to have to try to do this without being able to know, like, like trying to shave and you don't have a mirror. Yeah. And then when I realized when I kind of hit the reset button and was like, I'm just going to tell jokes that I just know are funny mm-hmm. and are, tr- you know, I'm going to try to write things that are true and authentic, but that I just really believe are funny. Yeah. 
And then that's when it kind of started to. Absolutely. And that's what yeah. I was about to say. And you start having fun. Yeah. Being able to reframe uh, that mindset of, because there's stuff that you as a person think is funny and that you really love. And, but like the, you never get a good audience reception. It's just like, I love this joke so much, but people do not on in general. And, and instead of thinking like, well, they think it's not funny so it must not be fun no the your opinion matters too <laughs> as an individual yeah. on what you think is funny mm -hmm. i just think the reframe needs to happen about trying to communicate what you think is funny to where it translate like you said to the audience to where they think it's also funny right. and some of that just takes time it takes writing skills it takes it takes um you know different deliveries see we we see professional comedians like this joke bombed but then when i said it this way or i did this little mannerism with it look at that all of a sudden it worked and maybe it was never the joke to begin with maybe the joke was funny all along and you saw what was funny with it to begin with it just was never translated mm -hmm. in the end and yeah. that's something i personally i find i struggle a lot with is that i have jokes so many jokes that i personally think are hilarious and i can't wait to share it and then it'll be like get not the reception i want i'm like oh, i hate myself uh, i'm not a comedian <laughs> i'm a fraud i'm a sham i don't know what humor is mm -hmm. i'm done in this business but um mm -hmm. no it's, it's just about having that positive free frame i think so I heard somebody, I think we had a comic on early on in the podcast series. And I think we just, I, I think I just blurted out some question about like their comedic style. And I realized pretty quickly, uh, cause the, I think the response was something like, uh, well, I'm kind of relying on you to tell me that, you know, as, as a person is watching me, okay. I was like, okay, that's a good point. So I won't ask you what you think your comedic style is. But yeah, I hate when people don't answer our fucking questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me answer your yeah, question so with another question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's your show now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the first five of Gary. Y'all go share this seat. Yeah. I'm going to send your two sheets combined. One from both Yeah. <laughs> I like your style of comedy. I, I would classify it. I mean, there's definitely puns in there and stuff like Very that. Word, wordplay. Uh, I love wordplay. I have noticed that people seem to be less like younger crowds seem to be less receptive to yes. wordplay. Yes, absolutely. So, and I don't know if that's like I have this very, very unformed theory that uh, growing up with the Internet and like memes and, and you having to be able to figure out how to be really mm -hmm. funny with words. Yeah. They're all just like, okay, that's not impressive anymore. You have to do something else. I think listening. Yeah. I think listening to like good rap music too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, For me very, personally, very pun heavy like, on the rap. Yeah, it makes yeah. it makes you appreciate how much you can do with a word. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. I think that younger crowd isn't. Well, even I would also say older. I feel like people in general just don't like puns. And they, there's a reason they say it's the lowest form of comedy. Um, besides improv. No, I'm just kidding. I love my improv people. I love, no, don't come after me, improv people. I love you. Uh, but no, um, I don't know. I, I just... I love when people on stage do jokes where I audibly laugh, but also say at the same time, that was so stupid. Yes. When I say that and laugh at the same time, that's my type of humor that I like. So when people mm -hmm. do that, I love it. 
Um, and that's what I try to recreate uh, to mix results. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think there is a general positivity and lightness to your humor that I really appreciate because a lot of us are just out there in the gutter. Like, yeah. you know, whether it be literal like sex jokes and stuff or just like dealing with dark topics. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much do you consciously stay away from that or do you just do whatever comes out? So so th- the truth is. I actually have a lot of jokes that I have written uh, about stuff that's more personal to my life Mm -hmm. that I have not said on stage yet. Like a a lot of jokes. Uh, And some of it is because I feel like they're not fully formed. Like they're they're, they're good premises are good enough premises. And maybe I don't have that, you know, that, that full package of a joke to present. But a lot of it is just it's stuff that's authentic to me. And a lot of times I, I kind of shy away from that and kind of go to lighthearted humor because I can kind of say like, OK, if I go and I do this open mic or this show and they don't like the material, it's never to me. It never feels like, oh, it's not that it has anything to do with me. They just don't like the jokes I said. So mm-hmm. if I go back, rewrite, do something else like I, I, I could have potentially won them over in that moment. Okay. But whenever I do stuff that would be more personal, more authentic, more like vulnerable, t- vulnerable. Yeah. Um, it's like, it, it starts to start to feel like, well, if I say these jokes and they don't like it, then they don't like me. Right. And that's, and that's something I'm trying to slowly get out of And I think it's, <sighs> I hate to say this, but I look like how I look like. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so if y'all, y'all have gotten to know me, I feel like y'all have a good snapshot of knowing what I'm like, but if you have an audience member who's never met me, mm-hmm. they're going to think that my, my stylings, my character, who I am as a person, it's going to be vastly different you know, than who I actually am just based off of appearances. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Like I, I try to, I try to steer clear. Like for example, uh, one big thing that pops in my brain is I have uh, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a, a a sister who's trans Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, I've made jokes about like authentic things like growing up uh, with uh, someone who's transitioned, who was a brother and now is a sister. Mm-hmm. But I feel like, oh, you know, big old white guy making some trans jokes like that's, you mm-hmm. know, such a buzzword and such a like he's probably lying. He probably doesn't even have a trans sister. Mm-hmm. He's probably mm-hmm. just trying to make these jokes because, I mean, well, look at him, you know. Right. And so I don't know. It's just it's one of those things, I guess. And I'm slowly trying to break that mold. Yeah, Yeah. I would want to sort of dangle a little carrot to sort of bait you into coming out into those waters because because it's it is more dangerous and you are more vulnerable when you when you go and start really digging into your personal life and revealing things about yourself that somebody might stand up and say, you can't say that, you know, there, there's always a risk of right. something like that. Yeah. And it is more vulnerable, but yeah, I mean, there's Oftentimes, a lot of times that's where the best stuff is though. Yeah. Agreed. But yeah, that's a hard Agreed. thing. It might, I think that's why people that make it in comedy, it takes them years to make it because there's stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And that in comedy just being hard, but I think it's, it's hard for you to find that stuff or like, I, I'll have a bunch of, ideas for jokes for like people in my life and my family Mm -hmm. that I think would be really funny, but I've never said any of it on stage. I've never even like really written it down. It's in my head and worked on it, which I guess I should do that. Just work it out on paper Yeah, first. 
But I never really worked it out or said it on stage because I'm afraid that if any of those people, I'm afraid a lot of it, if those people would hear me saying it, Mm -hmm. that they might take it a different way. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. That they might take it as like I'm, they might not take it as like I'm saying this about, because the funniest things about people are usually like, their characteristics are usually flaws. Yeah. Like they're interesting characteristics, but it's always like, but this flaw makes this person funny. And this is why I love this person. Mm-hmm. But that would be the thing where that would have to come across, that would have to come across like in your face. You know what I mean? To yeah, where yeah. people wouldn't hear it and be like, I didn't realize you, you know, where after they hear me say like, wow, I didn't realize that's what you thought of me. That's what I feel like most oh, people would say. You know what like I mean? That person listening in and then that being I, like, yeah, okay. That I think they would take yeah, it as uh, Okay. Yeah. No, I also understand that. When, when you get more personal, it kind of, those, those people kind of come out back yeah. in, like in your life to. And especially if it's someone that does, yeah. that's not familiar with comedy. Yeah. Or yeah. For the most part. Like I, there's so many funny things, stories I could tell with my yeah. dad. But I'm just worried that if he's not, for one thing, he's not used to the context, the comedy. Mm-hmm. But to where, like, I worry too too much. He might hear it and take it that I'm saying this stuff because it's funny. Mm-hmm. But it's funny things about him that I like, and yeah. I want other people. You know what I mean? I'm kind of sharing a thing I love with you. Yeah, like he might take it as you're airing out dirty laundry yeah. on a stage. Yeah, which the yeah. first thing I would have yeah. to. Get it across to an audience first. Mm-hmm. Of why you think that's funny. Yeah, yeah to where when yeah. an audience would hear it, they're not going to be like, oh, he's talking. They're going to be like, that's funny. Not this guy's talking shit about his, his dad. dad. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's like when Tyler makes jokes about his mom. Mm-hmm. No, It's all loving. Like, you know what right. I mean? Like, no one thinks, like, if anything, I think most people are like, oh, probably think he's a good son, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, oh, his mom, he's close to his mom, you know? Mm-hmm. But sometimes when you're say you're telling funny things people did or said, if you don't say it or if you don't do it the right way, it could come out that you have bad intentions. You know, I Absolutely. worry about that. I don't want anyone to hear something I said about them and it make them feel bad. Feel bad, because that's not the goal yeah. of comedy, right? Right. It's yeah. not to make people feel bad. It's to make them feel good. Yeah. Right. I 100% understand where you're coming from. Absolutely. I've had to run a lot of joke ideas past my wife and I've had to shut some down before I really put too much effort into them because she was like, you're not going to say that about me on stage. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, if I really felt like I needed to, we would probably be in an argument about this. But it's like there's just so many other things. Oh, many other directions I could go. I'll just change it because it's not necessary. Yeah, if it was something that would be fun. Yeah, the fact that you're willing to be like, okay, is like, it's not obviously it's not funny enough anyway right. or at least the way you have it now right yeah mm-hmm. oh, but I've, I've had already like been talking well like my dad's one example where like me and like a sibling and a friend of mine who knows my dad real well are talking about my dad and saying stuff about my dad and laughing and this other person who doesn't really know my dad that well is like I remember this guy got so upset. He's like, I can't believe y'all are being so disrespectful. And we're like, we're not. Not. That's not. We're yeah. joking around. We say we would say this stuff to him. Yeah. You know? But I worry that he wouldn't 
get it to where if he'd hear like I'm saying it to other other people, you know what I mean? Yeah. It Did, might not come off well to other people and it might not come off well to him. Absolutely. Didn't yeah. your dad try to get you to tell a street? Wasn't there like a funny <laughs> anecdote? Yeah. I read this in a book. <laughs> Someone told this. him a joke and he wanted me to use it. <laughs> Which uh, my dad said. It's kinda no, but then when I told that. him like uh I was like, well I can't use that. Yeah. And he's like, why not? I was like, it's not my joke. Yeah, I have to make up my own jokes. He's mm. like Nah, nah, comedians just... <laughs> just steal and they use everyone else's yeah, jokes. and he's like, he doesn't even... Well, he watches, like, he knows about, like, the comedian. Most of the comedians he's seen, that is what they do. They're okay. like Cajun comics. Cajun comics. That's Cajun comics. Say, yeah. Don't write a lot of original yeah. material. Yeah. They they tell street jokes for the most part. They tell Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes. <laughs> That's what he thinks comedy is. Is It's just joke telling. Yeah. He doesn't know there's joke writing and everything involved. It's just joke telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But and I try to so now, of course, he thinks just like everything else I do, that I'm doing this wrong and I'm hard headed. Yeah. You know? Have y'all ever run into uh the exact opposite thing where maybe you fabricate a joke or you do something and then someone hears that joke and thinks it's about them, even though it's a completely fictitious, does not you know, not real joke. Yeah. Has that ever happened? I think to you? I think my jokes have been too absurd. <laughs> so okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to think. At first, I was like, "Yeah, definitely," but then I realized that's that's not what's happening at all. What happens is we tell stories without dropping names on the podcast, yeah. and on probably about every four weeks, Brennan Robards will be like, "That was about me, right?" <laughs> it's like now everything's about yeah. you. Well, you just name dropped him just now. It usually is though. <laughs> yeah. Love you, Brennan. And it, it is, sometimes it is. We usually will drop his name if we are talking about him, but yeah. sometimes he'll yeah if he does. Yeah, like, oh, we're talking about me. And I'm like. Well, we weren't, but now that you mentioned it, <laughs> we could have. Uh, I mean, you can take it as we were if you want, if you want, because it's true. No, it's careful to be careful. About. I'll have one quick story about that. Uh, it was a Tuesday uh, Artmosphere mic, and I um I brought a first date with me, which mm-hmm. hey, you're going on a first date, go to dinner into an open mic where you're about to do comedy to like yeah. a few people. That's a great, that sounds like a bad that, idea. Oh, that's a great recipe for success. Well, I wasn't thinking, okay? Mm-hmm. I was just like, you know what? I got a date with me. Let me do some of like some some decent material that I know kind of usually works most nights. So I did a joke uh, that y'all may hear where essentially the premise is uh uh, a girl sticking uh, her finger up my butt. Yeah, I, I did that joke, which then yeah, leads into yeah. um, uh, sharing porn together, and then me uh, uh, basically uh, like pulling up her mom's Facebook page, like, yeah, <laughs> like masturbating to her mom's Facebook page, mm-hmm. and not thinking about it. Well, I had this poor woman there. Mm-hmm. Everybody looks at her, thinking the jokes <laughs> about her. <laughs> turns beet red and I felt immediately awful about it because I was not thinking about any of that because to me it's a fake story of course I didn't pull up a mom's Facebook yeah, page right. with, even know. if you had jacked off to her mom's Facebook page you wouldn't show it you wouldn't to show her show it to her <laughs> yeah. I totally did no, you showed it to your buddies me yeah <laughs> So when did y'all break up? (laughs) There was no second date. I'll tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, No, yeah, I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that's happened. But going back to the other scenario, as far as like family members getting upset, 
when I was early on and when I was too early in my comedy the first year to really be able to defend it, I told my sister some of the jokes that have that have eventually become mainstays uh-huh. in my comedy that involve my dad that don't even involve my sister. Yeah. And she got so uncomfortable uh, and didn't laugh and like didn't give me any sort of encouragement at all that it might be funny. And I did have to at some point realize this is just she's too she's. In fact, I think she pretty much told me she's, like, she's so close to it. And it, some of the stuff is so hurtful for her as far as just growing mm. up with my dad. Yeah. Did you just tell her like what the jokes were or did you like let her hear? Oh, no. Yeah. Hear, it would have been better to let her hear a recording. Yeah. Like hear, let her hear like when it does well. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point because I've never I've never been able to let her hear a recording. She's only ever heard joke premises or you can't explain a joke. Like you gotta yeah. tell. Yeah, do it on stage to get. That's when people like te- like when we message stuff. Like, what do you think about this? A lot of the time, I'll uh, I'll, I'll say like you can know right away. Sometimes like, oh, that's a really funny premise or whatever, or oh, that has legs. But even like if I'm not sure, like I'll never say anything negative because I'm reading it on tech. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not the right kind of. It's not being delivered right, you know. So if I don't have anything constructive to add, I just won't add anything because you don't know, you yeah. know. I'll sometimes help out like a new comedian on like like at the station or something if they have like a quick like a, a quick fixing where I've noticed something that can really help benefit them. It might be something mechanical, like you know, like take the mics, like take the microphone out the mic stand, move it behind you instead of leaving, you know, like little mm-hmm. things like that. And uh, I'll maybe tell them, like, hey, look, uh, I really like this, but, you know, cut out the fluff here, I think would be a, a great thing. But most of the time when people are like, hey, I have this idea for a bit, I'll usually cu- cut them off and be like, try it out on stage, see what happens. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's usually my answer for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just don't think, I mean, unless you have a pretty, like Maggie would always encourage us, like you need to have somebody, because she has this, she has like one or two people and a little group text message and she, when she has something she hits this kind of the same trusted people with it. She won't okay. just ask anybody. And uh, <clears throat> I find more often than not that when, when first years and second years are asking us what we think about their jokes, it's like, I'm pretty sure, you know, on some level that if you're asking us, you know, there's something missing, you know, because like, otherwise you just get up on stage and do it. Right. So I think you're right. I think ultimately they do just need to get up on stage and do mm-hmm. it every once in a while. You might be able to save somebody the embarrassment if they're clearly. Yeah. They say something blatantly like, yeah, don't like say maybe, that. maybe yeah. don't say that word on stage. Are you crazy? No. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I've said that to a person. I'm not going to say yeah. one word and I'm not going to say one person. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. I don't think the community is going to appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> it was in Lake Charles. But no, well, yeah. I'm glad you mentioned Lake Charles because I wanted to ask you about some of the book shows that you've done out there because I've heard good things. And, and I think we have one coming up or I, I have one. He's done several. Uh-huh. Um, the only times I've done book shows out there have been at OB's and at daiquiri shops. But this is a little bit kind of a step up. OK. And so I'm curious about your experiences with doing comedy on those book shows and like Charles. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first off, first and foremost, Jacob Guidry mm-hmm. killing it when yeah. it comes to just a uh, book. And I mean, he is making something out of nothing out mm-hmm. of Lake Charles. He, he really got to think that through. I mean, he, he started this thing and he started doing producing early on in his comedy career. Yeah. Like he has like, the, he's young too. I think he's like 25 now mm-hmm. or just had a tw- his 25th birthday. Yeah. The amount of business sense he has to, to book these things. Yeah. I'll tell you what, I did a, um, a charity show uh, at the station and I, I produced it and stuff like that. And that's so much pressure to produce shows. And the fact that he's just like, 
pumping these things out, yeah. like doing all these things, networking, getting with all these companies. I think it just shows a testament to his work ethics. So, no, I'm just mm-hmm. giving you flowers, Jacob. You deserve <laughs> them. But um, doing those shows, um, I, I really like the Lake Charles shows and the venues that he does. Um, like Panorama, he's done some, uh, was it Library Riot? Yeah. I uh, really like that room. <laughs> um, I know for me, when I've done a lot of the Lake Charles shows, I, I did a lot of them more when I was a newer comedian and I wasn't as experienced as I am now. I felt like I personally didn't get too much of a good reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, again, like you said, I'm very pun heavy. I'm mm-hmm. very stupid, goofy, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think it's a beautiful scene honestly like the the book shows out there yeah and i really like him and even and he puts so he like we used to do a open mics at a laser tag arena mm-hmm. love that he even did uh, uh a few book shows within like the actual like arena part like they took out all the obstacles <laughs> oh, wow. they put a stage there and they filled they filled it up they filled that entire laser tag arena and Jeez. it's just like it's that little bit of like um I don't know, it's just that business sense to like, yeah, who thinks of that? It's like, let's let's go ahead and do a comedy show in a laser tag. Arena. I just That's had what a I love great about idea, it. too. Yeah. Do like a show or an open mic, but everybody still has to wear the thing. So then the, if the comedian up there starts doing bad, like the audience like shoots him down. Uh-huh. Yeah, that'd be fun. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> you have to put some fog in there so that you can see it, because that would make it a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, and that shit would be DT. Like, if, <laughs> that's how you like, or, or just let the, yeah, or just have the host have it, and that's how you can light them. Oh, God. It's like, well, I've just yeah. been shot. I only have one minute yeah. left. Of y'all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's the deal with airline food? <laughs> I love that idea. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, uh, yeah, like, one of the things that I, that, that stuck out for me when I was uh, getting to know Jacob on, on his episode, and I think just before and after as well, was that he wasn't a fraternity. Mm-hmm. I didn't rush. I didn't do any of the Greek stuff. Um, I think there is really something about that business network building yeah, aspect of absolutely. being in a frat. Mm-hmm. And of course, I'm sure he has some natural inclination toward that anyway. I mean, some people just that's how their mind works. But I think that that also gives you a leg up of just hanging around with other people that are like minded and, and the community building aspect of being uh, in the Greek community on a college campus. Just, yeah. Cause he, cause he kind of referenced that when he was talking about yeah. the build up to him getting into comedy. Well, he, well, I also was a fraternity and I don't have any of that. <laughs> so, yeah, no, but uh, no, I, I agree with you on the network. Cause I mean, I'm still friends with a lot of those same people, even after college and uh, that, that ability to network and uh, mm-hmm. do stuff. But he was also had, he had like, you know, different, I believe his, uh, his business was a uh, thicket, like, you know, way back, you know, when he was, uh, you know, younger, earlier twenties. So it's like, he, he's just, I feel like it's just one of those things where you have to be kind of uh, uh, risk averse and mm-hmm. just um, or more prone to risk and just being able to do a production of a show because it's daunting. It, you know, I have mad respect for Jacob, mad respect for J.P. Leonard, uh, everyone who who puts on shows consistently in the Louisiana area mm-hmm. because. It's a lot to be like, oh, man, what if people don't show up to this thing, especially when it's like money at the door? Like we got to do the marketing and get it on Facebook and get the word out. And if I don't get that done, it's we may not have a show. And Mm -hmm. that's 
that keeps you up at night as a producer, I'm sure. And so the fact that they just pump out so many shows, it shows a testament to their work ethic. Mm-hmm. You know, I never thought about that, but yeah, like everyone I went to school with that went on to be in France, I think they're all very successful. Mm-hmm. They they have got nice houses, nice jobs. Yeah, they wear khakis a lot. <laughs> Some <boat laughs> they, do, they all wear khakis. Yeah, they they tuck yeah. their shirt in on the weekend. That's it. They just uh, yeah. they just get that uh, LSU. <laughs> Purple polo, go get yeah, the yeah. walk-ons and uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> go home. Yeah, most of them have season tickets. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. I mean, part of it is like, well, if they were in a frat, then they, a lot of times, I, mean, I don't know about all of them, but I do know there's some money involved in, like, you have to have some sort of solvency just going into it because it is, a high, there's an yeah. expense involved with it. Yeah. So that would kind of lend itself toward like, well, if they're already on a good start, they have a better chance statistically at doing better in their lives. But I think that, the frat itself, the just the idea of like, we're going to make these relationships now in college and then we'll always be a resource for one another you yeah. know, in, in our careers. I would also say, I think it, it, it kind of drives home the point in college of uh, developing social skills, yeah. developing those skills, even if it's not with your actual whatever fraternity or whatever, but just learning to build those skills there in that network. And then you can transfer that for whenever you go to a job or whatever, right. and you can, you know, start networking with employers and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. so I think dude, Jacob probably just naturally has an entrepreneurial, um, mindset, like what you talked about, mm-hmm. which is embracing risk and being comfortable with that. Um, so that's good for him. And I think that his, I mean, at this point, I remember like maybe six months to a year ago, it was like, Hey, we all need to kind of recognize, but at this point it's like, it's just a well-known thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's, he's doing great and and we're happy for him. And I think sometimes they partner like Lafayette comedy and Lake Charles will have like the same person go and Mm -hmm. do like, you Mm -hmm. know, but I think that it's only a matter of time before you start to see him pulling in more like, you know, larger name comedians and doing shows there that are just completely independent of anybody else yeah because he's got the houston market to pull from so that's Um, exactly yeah so killing it jacob (laughs) so we like to talk about aliens on this uh podcast just because (laughs) just have an alien podcast (laughs) it's very fascinating topic but i think that there's been some stuff that's happened recently that i'm not even really as up on so do you know what the deal you mentioned something about mexico and i thought i saw something about somebody saying something mexican bone alien bones somewhere in mexico is that a thing yeah so it's like about a, to make you clarify <laughs> about mexico <laughs> <laughs> about right, we aliens. just stay silent right? yeah. no me and drew have no clue what you're talking <laughs> no, about my no book you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, i'm not too well versed in it either besides like just the i get most of my news sources through memes nowadays yeah. so like sure. i gotta pretty much like backtrack and like reverse engineer mm-hmm. whatever the meme is to what the actual news source is mm-hmm. but from my understanding that uh, they they found some aliens um uh and then found aliens right and then mm-hmm. uh they're like oh yeah you know take a study so this thing and i'm sure y'all seen the pictures and uh yeah uh i, I don't think it's real um oh I, it's a hoax okay most uh, likely no, they look they look peculiar but it's hard to tell though they almost look like paper mache yeah but uh supposedly they were found like in these mines or something and mm. they're like these they're from prehistoric times pretty much i think if not maybe not prehistoric but they're from a long time ago yeah i don't know how long ago they're saying because of how they could tell by how deep they are but they've been mummified mm-hmm. 
So that's the only thing is I don't know. I've seen like mummified stuff before, and it does look kind of like if you touched it, it would fall apart. Yeah. Which is it, weird because um, it's supposed to be sort of the opposite. It's supposed to be preserved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it looks like fragile. I never touched it, but if you just look at it, it looks very fragile. So maybe that's it, and maybe it's real. I don't know. One yeah. of them had, like, you could almost see where he'd have, like, the beginning of a little penis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's it. There you go. Those I don't have aliens, anything else to say be. about that. I realized after I said it. No, I actually, I think I heard somewhere, it's like someone, I, I watch some stuff where people like to debunk, like, you know, a lot of, like, paranormal stuff very opposite of the history channel where they actually try to go into it and i think for this particular uh one that guy actually had tried to pass off some aliens before as being like these mummified remains it it proved to be like a hoax in like 2016 or something and like the head I, I, i remember this it's so vivid because what he did was he took a llama skull and invert he basically took like the front part and flipped it to where it was the back part that would have been the face and then they just had that as the um as the alien skull so i want to believe yeah. i i'm just yeah. saying i i really want aliens to be real mm-hmm. i love aliens i want i want all of them in this country okay <laughs> <laughs> all right i love aliens um yeah. And I they just, can speak their language. They, they, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They can I'll keep speak their, their They can keep their culture. Yeah, yeah. But just, no, I I want to be real. But I'm always very. Um, we'd ask them to respect the age of consent. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, I mean, well, what is that for aliens? Is it like dog years? We don't know. And you yeah. can take everybody's job, just don't take ours. We like podcasting and doing comedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, a, a alien podcast would slap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just need Google Translate. There you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I want to believe. I, yeah. I, at this point, it seems like a statistical uh, impossibility that there isn't something else out there. If, all right, if there were hot aliens. Oh. You sma- like, you're a single dude. You smash? It's the space pope reptilian. Of course like you I'd smash. Have, you wouldn't have any kind of um, moral objection? You wouldn't think for a while? Like, like. Like, would it be almost like beastie? Like, yeah. I mean, no, we'd have to see, like, how 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 humanoid are these aliens? It has to be enough uh, for you to catch a boner. Yeah. Thing, yeah, well, I mean, that's like, bold, yeah, bold, bold of you to assume my threshold for a boner is really, really high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But no, I'm saying as far as look human enough, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you've yeah. never... yeah. You've never mm-hmm. seen like a, a raccoon or something and be like, no, it's yeah. a hot or a dog, even a dog, you know, right. as cute as dogs are. I, yeah. I would hope anyway, you never saw one and you're like, that's a sexy fucking dog. You know, You know, I could say that thought has never across my mind, which I mean, no disrespect to furries. I just, it's not yeah. my, mm-hmm. not my cup of tea. Yeah. So we'd have to be able to, hopefully you would think that. I don't know. As far as people being attracted to aliens and them having to be humanoid, I just I've seen too much on the Internet to realize that, like, there's this wide open landscape Mm -hmm. of people being attracted to all kinds of inanimate objects and and, you know, and and we've all fucked an inanimate object. (laughs) Like my like a very similar question that I actually uh, had in the shower uh, the other day was uh, how far in our evolutionarily like evolutionary line would it be before it would be considered gross to fuck? 
Mm. If that makes sense. Like, know you know, because we're like the homo sapien. How far, yeah, how far in that little it? chart of monkey do we have to yeah, go like, before? It's like, like, okay, this is this saw, is where I draw my line at the one where they're slightly slunched over. Like, yeah, if you saw like kind of a, like a real thick yeah. banging Neanderthal <laughs> chick. Yeah. It's like, uh, like yeah, if you, you could, you know. Talk her into shaving. <laughs> that's, a, that's, the, a, yeah. that's a sexy shaved orangutan. But other than that, she's got a little, just a little brow yeah, on her, but she could still be cute, you know? I'm a big proponent of body positivity, Drew, so... You know. We're more likely to like judge our friends for people that are human that they sleep with. You know, yeah, I mean? like, sure. yeah. if she's a hot Neanderthal. I don't. She, you're probably gonna be into her, and there's no I, shame, I'd right? Be, if you told, I'd be that's cool, dude. <laughs> <laughs> just keep going down the line. It's Took like full on. You went full on monkey, like tail and everything, dude. You're disgusting. Yeah, that's gross. <laughs> yeah, that's gross. Come on, man. Have some self respect. <laughs> Oh, banging aliens. Um, <laughs> banging aliens. That's not exactly the reason that I want to believe, but it does open up some interesting ideas. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I more care about the technology yeah. and the see, uh, space gonna... travel, but sex is great, too. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed this. I've been working on my hosting skills, but I was going to try to transition this into talking about his dating and social life. Oh, That's what I was doing. Look at this See, dude. I think I'm just being nasty over here. Segways. All right, well, now we're on that topic. All right. Great job. Uh, so what, uh, how's it going? Because you're, we're, you know, we've both been married for a while and we're uh -huh. a little older, but not to each other, just to clarify. <laughs> But, you know, being married guys, uh, we, when I hear people talking, they're stand up about dating apps and, mm -hmm. and just the experience of being out there now, it doesn't sound great. And so I'm curious, like what your experience is like. Um, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. I'll be honest. It's not so much, uh, in my front focus right now. Mm -hmm. It's dating. Mm -hmm. it, it really is my, um, career go growth, my comedy. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I have a bunch of other, uh, buckets that I've been putting my time and attention to and not so much dating. Yeah. But I mean, if, if you're curious, just as a married person's perspective on like what the current dating climate is, I feel like more people are just having more, um, dating partners there. You know, it used to be you would date maybe two or three people and then you would find your person, lock it in. And now it's marriage. Now people, I feel like they kind of have this weird thing of like, okay, this, this was a really great date and everything went well, but who knows if the next person I meet on this dating app is right. even better than that. Right. And then it just becomes this thing where no one's really settling down and mm -hmm. it just ends up, um, you know, ending up with a bunch of people, uh, single looking for the next best thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I don't know. I've heard that a lot. I've heard that FOMO is a big thing and yes. too many options mm -hmm. is a big thing. And mm -hmm. so nobody will settle yeah. into anything. Which, which in a weird way, yeah, it is a negative trait, but I also think that if you go through that trial and tribulation and then genuinely find your person and then you, you're less prone to, you know, have a wandering eye, you for know, sure. Cause, um, yeah, there was a weird thing when I was single, when I was younger. And then when I was single, before I met my wife, mm -hmm. there was this, it was a much different thing to where when I was the first time I was single, you used to be able especially to be more upfront or at least women were more upfront about like 
if they just want to bang. Yeah. Guys were a little different because you'd be trying to, you want to bang a chick. So if she'd be like, no, I want to relate, you'd lie to her. Mm -hmm. But women didn't have to do that. If a woman told a guy, like, I just want to bang. Yeah. Dudes wouldn't be like, no. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then it got to a thing where I found a lot with, with the women, they were, they would go the second time around before I met my wife. Women would go through a thing where they would be like, I'm not looking for just a hookup and all this. And I want when they put it out there like that. Mm-hmm. And then they would, you would have sex with them. And then they would like not want to talk to you. Or, and sometimes they'd either ghost you mm-hmm. or they'd eventually be like, well, I'm not ready. Where it's like, why didn't you just fucking say that from the beginning? Like, why do we have to go through all the effort? Why do we have to talk? So like, why do we do have this to do all this? Like, you wasted so much of my time. Like, don't you know, men? You could just say, <laughs> let's just bang. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. To where at one point I felt, I was like, this must be what, like, chicks feel like. Because mm-hmm. at one point I was like, I feel like feel used. used. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I feel like an object right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, look, dating apps and all that stuff is so integrated into social media. If you ever download a dating app in the in the present age, like you can you can link your socials. Like it's like you could have your Instagram feed pop up at the bottom of your Tinder or your Bumble, or you you can have all kinds of stuff. So if you have like a, a bio as a woman, as just like I'm just here to smash, chug cock, and have a good time. Like you know, well, uh, at some point maybe your friends will or friends of friends will see that profile yeah. and it'll kind of come around to to bite you yeah and it's I would just, just like not, i would not link those things though yeah yeah like well, i don't yeah, know if things I have mean, changed in the last few years i've been with my wife but back then you wouldn't link you didn't want you you didn't i guess it was a little different back then mm-hmm. because i guess maybe the online dating was newer yeah Cause lots of times they would end up being a discussion. Like, are we gonna tell people how we really fucking met? Yeah, like there was almost people, like some shame. Have, yeah, there was there a little was... bit. Because at the time there was people just thought it was weird to meet someone on the internet. Yeah, and now I don't think it's that weird. It makes perfect sense to we're all on the internet. Yeah, but back then you wouldn't link them things. So there no, really was you'd be like like you could just or even if you don't want to put it on your profile. Yeah, you can let me know per like privately if we're messaging each other. You know, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's definitely different. I mean, and now you're starting to see people where all they know is just meeting through dating apps and stuff like that. Like I, that I'm probably the first generation where, like, because when I turned 18, like Tinder came out the next month, and I feel like Tinder was really the one that blew everything up yeah. when it came to the online dating scene. Mm-hmm. And so I was, you know, a guy who was. You know, for most of my life, big, overweight, like a fat guy, didn't, you know, get really much attention from the ladies. I then went through this process, lost a bunch bunch of weight, you know, got a little more confidence. And then the dating apps exploded on the scene. And then, uh, you know, I kind of just started using them. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's just one of those things where, I mean, I I think they at the end of the day, I think they're more of a society net positive than a society net negative. I feel that way about most of the stuff. Yeah. Most things. And even the Internet. But Mm -hmm. I remember whenever we first started carrying around cell phones. Yeah. And I remember there was a big thing with people were like, talk like phones, cell phones are terrible. Cell phones are terrible. 
And they would always point out like someone's shitty behavior. And I'm like, no, yeah. that person is terrible. Outlier, yeah. The phone is an inanimate object. I mean, you know. Yeah. I was like, I like having the I told someone one time at work a guy that we worked together. And he's like, the fucking cell phones. I'm like, dude, you realize you know, like we we alternate weeks being on call. Yeah. You know we'd have to be here the whole the whole time, right? Exactly. Like we both live too far away from this place. You'd have to stay here. If there mm-hmm. wasn't a phone, you'd have to come in and sit here. The phone is the only way you get to go home. Like, I love the phone. Yeah. I love people, be, be, people being able to reach me somewhere. And those negative behaviors most of the time would also be instilled if phones didn't exist. Like, they would they would just find it in some other yeah, way. Like newspapers. Way, yeah. Like newspapers or yeah. magazines or whatever people did in the like 90s. The people you have, know? Like loud, they have, like, loud uh, FaceTimes, like, in yeah. public and small. <laughs> like, what, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah. If, if they were, then they'd be talking to you. <laughs> yeah. Most probably, if yeah. not, you know what I mean. They just want they you to be on be, their conversation. Yeah, the and how phone didn't make them a piece of shit. They already were. Yeah, that's exactly. why they use the phone that way. You know, exactly. so it's really phones don't kill people. People kill people. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> Getting really political over here, Michael. I don't like it. I was saying it subliminally. <laughs> a big, uh, a, well, I'll explain subliminal to you later. <laughs> the key, the key part of subliminal for mm. it to work. <laughs> But one thing I did want to ask y'all is, uh, you know, so like I'm a single guy, uh, you know, but one thing I, I've always been curious about is I don't know how y'all do it where y'all juggle having like a family life, like having a wife and then children and then juggling that to um, to do comedy. Like what, what's their general general principle on that? Are they very supportive of it? Yeah, you like have to have a good wife. Yeah. You have like, to have a supportive wife. Yeah. You're spending nights in bars and stuff. You know what I mean? That's what I'm saying. Usually when a woman gets married, she doesn't want to be at home. Right. Seen about a kid and then going to bed without you and you're out in a bar somewhere. Yeah. You know? I was just kind of curious uh, a little more about, you know, y'all's dynamic and how that works. It's just... Yeah, because, I mean, if you, if you both have wives that, like, you know, or work through the day, and the only times y'all really have free time is at night, and then mm-hmm. y'all are gone. I'm, I'm just curious we, how that... We're both in kind of unique situations. Uh, I think that, first of all, there's going to be some commonalities that we can mm-hmm. all, every every married guy in the scene can attest to. Yeah, yeah, we all go through that. And then it branches off into what's unique about it for us. Mm-hmm. I would say that with Drew and I in particular, uh, Drew's self-employed and his wife works from home full-time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then I'm, I'm self, well, I'm not self-employed, but I, I work three out of five days from home. And during the pandemic, it was full-time from home. Okay. And my wife is a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And so in our situations, we can see a lot of one another during the day okay. so that it's not as bad, but for a typical two income situation where they're both pursuing careers and then trying to raise their kids in those few hours that you're all home together at the end of the night. And then, and then your husband's running off to go do comedy. I mean, if you think about it, we're going to be on stage for three to five minutes Mm -hmm. and we're going to, I'm going to plan to start kind of getting into that where I'm going to be hanging out for hours, hours (laughs) and hours. Yeah. Yeah. It's not unusual for us to leave the atmosphere at midnight when they kind of kick us out at the end of the night. Right. And I start kind of getting in that mode where I'm like home, but I'm really kind of like thinking about how I'm going to get out the door by like six. Yeah. So that's a six hour block that I'm really not available for them. Yeah. Uh, so if I did not have the times during the day uh, that we just kind of steal little moments to, you know, to, to do that kind of stuff, 
uh, it would be tough. And I, and I don't, Drew, I, I, I don't know, but my thing is, I read a lot of books about, I didn't want to be a parent. I, I spent my whole life knowing I'm never going to have kids. And then one day I was like, okay, but I do want to get married. And the type of person that I want to marry is probably going to want to have kids. I don't see any way around mm-hmm. that. So I started trying to get used to the idea. I read books about how to be a good dad and all this stuff. And it came down to, yeah, Hey, those books are garbage, dude. <laughs> a lot of them are. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't help me. Those God, books no. did not really help me, but therapy helped. Okay. And what I found was that most people, there's so much information out there these days about how to get parents that are like, if you've got a, a co-parenting situation is very common is divorced uh-huh. and you're trying to figure it out. And there's a big emphasis on how to dads take the little bit of time that they get with their kids and really make that work. And, and honestly, what they figured out is that it's actually not that unusual for the dad to just not be around that much in a good or a bad situation. Okay. And so all dads, you know, whether you're running out and doing comedy at night or whatever the case may be, it's about learning how to make the smaller amounts of time be more meaningful mm-hmm. uh, and to because uh, I mean, I'm sorry, but like I still know a lot of people that once you've been married for a while, the, the relationship, the marital relationship kind of just takes a backseat mm-hmm. to everything else that's going on, particularly for primarily children, mm-hmm. but even other things, too. Yeah. And so your wife, you not being around for her she's more likely to not really be sweating that so much as you not carrying your weight. So as long as you're taking care of your responsibilities and making those small, you know, 30 minutes, 20 minutes of concentrated time with your kids, make it count, Mm -hmm. make it be like very focused, intentional time. You can get away with really just not having a lot of presence in the home. Okay. Wow. Part for me too, is like my kids, don't live they live with their moms and then they come on the weekends okay so that makes it a little different but at this it would it it would be the same shit though because if they would be there all the time i'd see them more right so i'd still be do, going out mm-hmm. but like on their weekends i'll kind of i mean if i get a gig i'm not gonna not do the gig mm-hmm. but i'm not gonna like podcast all day when they're yeah. not there like we've done it before where we do two pot if you do two podcasts and on a saturday you're putting in like an eight hour day, really. Yeah. The logistics of getting ready and then in between and all that. Mm-hmm. If they're here on the weekend, I'm, I'll I'll sneak out and do one maybe, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to spend the whole day away from them. You know, if the podcast made money, it would be a different thing because there's lots be, of times. Yeah. Like they a job. Come, there's times they come on my weekend where I have to go to work because yeah. that's how we survive mm-hmm. and that's part of it. But right now, this there's no money coming out of this. And... Other than that, as far as with me and my wife, I don't really see it much different than if I was going hunting mm-hmm. or playing golf or anything like that. The only thing is, I'm in bars. And right. There's drinking and women in bars and stuff like that. Yeah. But I've, I've got, I've never done anything mm-hmm. like before. I started comedy. I had, I've never shown any kind of want to go hang out in bars you know not without my wife anyway it's one thing maybe if it's if there's a buddy in from out of town this weekend and maybe the guys will go out or something but you know i've never my wife knows i've never wanted to just go hang out in bars instead of be with instead of be home with right And I know you you, yeah. you sometimes bring your your wife out with you. Yeah, whenever. On the, yeah. yeah, like if my steps a yeah, lot make of time, it kind of a night Yeah, my stepson's out. home. Mm-hmm. But sometimes if he goes to his dad's or his grandma's or something, then she'll come out. Yeah. And if it's a big gig, if he's if he is home 
mm-hmm. and it's a big gig, then so if it's a big enough gig, we'll find him a babysitter because she wants to come, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, Bridget's awesome. Well, sometimes when I'm working the door at Club 337, she'll, and Drew and Bridget come to the show, she'll just voluntarily come and help me do some of the, oh, the, nice. the wrist, the wrist. Yeah, she likes, supporting the, she likes supporting the scene and everything. Well, I love that. Yeah. She's been to enough stuff where she kind of knows everybody and she likes everyone, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So she kind of feels like a part of the scene. Yeah, she's yeah not absolutely. A com- she's not a comedian, so helping work the door is her contribution, mm-hmm. you know? And she's a lot of fun. Yeah. She's yeah. just very, you know, she's very and, it's, and like I said too before, I've never had, I, I've n- never, like uh, the whole time we've been together, there's never been anything, like I've never had a wandering eye. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like uh, I've never given her any reason mm-hmm, to, to worry. She's more worried about like driving home and stuff yeah. like that. But she's right. not worried about, you, you know, yeah. most, like most... Most women, if I wouldn't be doing comedy, I think she would. We'd mm-hmm. be like, "Why do you want to? Why do you want to do bars, that?" Yeah. But she sees the Cause passion because hanging on bars isn't a hobby or anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like she sees the passion that. Yeah. that you have for yeah. it, like someone doing music or something. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. like really. Yeah, and I have, and there's something to show from. I have something to show, and there's. Mm progress she can see progress you know yeah and i just think there's something great about anybody that you date where they have a passion and something Mm -hmm. and they want to share it with you or at least like you know have you be in on it you know i think that's yeah it's a way different than just going to a bar and drinking some Michelob ultras and your your cisco uniform and call it a day i I support all her hobbies yeah washing clothes doing dishes (laughs) vacuuming all those things that she loves to do <laughs> ironing my sleeves uh, yeah i fully support all the things that uh, make her happy you know what i will tell you is just just don't fuck up is the thing because right. i, yep. I yeah. had a friend i can't you know i'm naming names in yeah. this podcast is never gonna happen but uh, <laughs> no i when i was in a different industry that was very much like well when i was playing music for a living mm-hmm. uh there was a guy and he was a really good musician and he he fucked up and then mm-hmm. whenever we were out if his wife wasn't there with oh, yeah. us hawk watching him like a hawk it was miserable we went on tour for a month and it was absolutely the Oof. worst mm-hmm. because like once I'll they bet. had this whole accountability system that they had to develop yeah. where he basically could never be anywhere without having to call her and tell her mm-hmm. this is where i'm at i'm leaving this place go to this place and it's a lot and that tr- that that and it, it just ultimately it didn't work out for them mm-hmm. and they were married yeah you know so that's the thing is is trust is so yeah. very important and that's not a thing i mean that doesn't worry us doesn't worry me because i have no i i mean i see women and we're like there's a thing where like damn she's hot mm-hmm. you know but that's where the thought women. stops it, it never goes any further yeah. than that like i have no the whole like the thought of touching another woman doing anything with another woman makes me sick to my stomach yeah you know i just don't have I don't have I'm, it's never like man, it's not a thought yeah yeah. I don't ever see a woman and be like boy if I wasn't married mm-hmm. I used to think that in my other relationships like man if I was single right now mm-hmm. it, everything's completely different with, with her it sounds like you're uh, what, what's the word uh, in a healthy relationship yeah, yeah. I mean somewhat yeah, somewhat I don't yeah. know I have issues but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good that's, that's good to know or you could always take the route like we uh, just had two new comedians join the scene like uh, Delaney and Chandler yeah. where they uh, yeah. both are doing comedy I don't know and I think she'd both... rather sleep with another man <laughs> than 
Then He's all, talking about Bridget. Then, then, then oh, okay. Then, I'm saying my wife, then <laughs> us both do comedy. Okay. Like, we both did comedy, and then, like, she's getting all the gigs, and I'm not. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, because when when we had uh, Dwayne on, uh, Alana was with him, and we ended up just yeah. setting up two mics for him. Mm-hmm. And uh, they talked about, we asked them, like, what is it like, you know, kind of those situations where maybe y'all are both maybe you're both riffing and then one of you comes up with something, but you're not really sure who started it and you both want the joke. And they're like, that doesn't really happen because yeah. they don't really, I guess it's a style thing. They don't, yeah, they the don't write style. the same type of stuff. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, you're with each other. Y'all are spending hours together at a comedy show. I mean, I, I would get like the last thing you really want to talk about is more comedy when you're yeah. together. You kind of want to have that because you're going to be talking about comedy together regardless when you're, at the shows right. so yeah and i part, feel like you get that out your system a lot too yeah, and yeah part of it too is um i like my wife coming to coming with me i mm-hmm. like it when she comes to shows and open mics and stuff like that but i also like it, it there is a good thing too about when she doesn't come mm-hmm. there is a you know what i mean it's good to, it's just like her and her friends yeah usually once a, like once a week it's like, hey, me and this friend or this, we're going to go, or even a group of girls, we're going to go, go to the Mexican restaurant. We're going to go out. Sometimes, usually they'll just go eat and come home, but sometimes they'll stay out late, mm-hmm. you know? But it's, yeah, she's, sometimes she needs to go do, have a life and have fun with some friends without me, mm-hmm. you know? And comedy, I get both sometimes because she can't come. I get that. And I have other friends, too, I had before comedy. But I don't see them all the time as much as I see y'all, you know? Yeah. So that sometimes there's a little getaway, you know? S- sometimes you got to kind of, because the fondness makes the the heart grow something. I don't know. <laughs> this absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. I, while it. I was saying, I was like, this is um, <laughs> like no, these words or where they go at all. You can always rely on me to remember <laughs> what the old cliche is. Yeah. Um. So, Garrett, uh, we like to wrap up each episode with a hypothetical question for our guests. Um, it's a question that will hopefully illuminate uh, what in your life rivals stand up in like importance and meaning. And I've thought about what I might trade in my life to like get what I want as a comic. And it occurred to me that I would... <laughs> I would give up sex for comedy. Uh, I, I would I've never have sex with another person again if in exchange for that all of my comedy dreams would come true, like exactly the way that I want them to. Um, so if you had to make a deal with the devil to give up something very costly so that all your comedy dreams would come true exactly the way that you wanted them to, uh, what, what might that be? Okay. So, uh, I, I mean, I've listened to the podcast pretty much every episode at this point. I've, I've heard you say this question many times <laughs> and I've had uh, a little time, especially in the drive over here to think about that. Um, and I, I'm going to answer the question, but first I would actually say, um, I'm not too sure I would even take a deal regardless. <laughs> the reason why 
is because you're basically saying, what would I give up for all of my comedy dreams to come true? Just build it out in a perfect fantasy reality. This is this is how it would happen. Mm-hmm. Right. And I uh, I'm reminded of this um, old Twilight Zone episode mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to spoil it. But if you haven't seen it, it's from the <laughs> 1950s. That's yeah. on you. OK, yeah, but it's this uh, episode where this guy, he dies and he essentially goes to heaven and he's he's a big avid gambler and he, he pulls the slot machine and he keeps winning. He's like, this is amazing. I'm winning every time. Well, after a while, he just gets bored and depressed. And he's just like, uh, uh, you know, uh, when I win every time, there's no fun. There's no variance. It's just boring now. And then the whole reveal is that he was in hell the entire time. Right. <laughs> so to say to have all my comedy dreams come true, I, I think they're. <laughs> This sounds awful to say, but I almost feel like you need a level of pain and suffering Mm -hmm. in order to truly appreciate and become a good comic, but also to cut your teeth and develop those skills. Yeah. You know, so if I were to do everything and just be like, oh, okay, everything will come true. And I, I, you know, maybe I don't have to put in the effort or, you know, I don't get kicked in the teeth as much. I feel like that's robbing yourself of the full stand up experience, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. But. To actually answer your question, if mm-hmm. I could, you know, still build it out, mm-hmm. what would I give up, right? Mm-hmm. I would honestly give up all my other hobbies. Mm-hmm. Every single little hobby I have, if it was only just stand up after work, uh, I would be okay with that. So, like, some of my hobbies right now, like, I'm a big video game guy. I love love video games. Um, you know, my little 3D printer, my crafts, my, you know, martial arts is mm-hmm. another big one. Um, pretty much any hobby I have, I would be completely fine with just completely wiping the slate clean, getting mm-hmm. rid of everything, and just be 100% streamlined comedy. Yeah. And that is it for the rest of my life. Literally be such a one-dimensional person. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. more. I'm more or less done that, really. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm kind of halfway there, too. I don't have enough time now to to have other hobbies. Like you said, with us being married and having kids. Exactly. I've kind of had to make this the hobby. Uh Uh-huh. Well, so I'm curious, what is, what would it look like for, like, what are your comments that you're willing to share with us? What are those dreams? So as of right now, uh, you know, we we all kind of have, like, our big... You know, uh, star-studded dreams that we have. Really, right now, my only my only goal is to do my best to become undeniably funny. Mm-hmm. That's the only thing. Yeah. Figure out whether it be through writing, repetition, whatever. Become undeniably funny because I know once I if I put all of my weight, all of my focus into that, the rest will come. You know, once once I become undeniably funny, then I can start to look at, okay, well, maybe I can market myself a little better because I don't ask to be on shows. I just if someone asks me, great, but I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to market myself because I don't feel like I'm at the point where I can say I am undeniably funny in every instance, in every scenario uh, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And until I get to that point, that's it. So in the meantime, uh, I'm happy just cutting my teeth. You know, getting getting beat up in the comedy scene on doing open mics until I just hone myself until that point. Do you roll jujitsu? Huh? I do do jujitsu. Okay. Yeah. 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 I uh, I've never my my daughter's into it. She she would like to, oh, to try cool. that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Because so, she doesn't. 
Well, whatever. That's like a whole other thing. We can talk about that later. But mm-hmm. uh, the point is, um, is there anybody that, you know, because I know we all have sort of like comedy mentors in the scene that, that we yeah. look up to. Is there anybody who you're like uh, when you think undeniably funny and then and then I'll kind of once I get to that point, then I can start looking at more like how do I be more strategic? Yeah. Is there anybody that you can think of that would be an example of someone who's undeniably funny at this point that's like, at that level? Like in, in our scene in our, or like in, in, in the in neighboring general. scenes? Just somebody. Yeah, like know. in our like. Yeah, like Louisiana. Um Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Cause we all, I mean, at the end of the day, we all have room for, uh, improvement, Mm -hmm. but, um, you know, obviously, you know, your last guest, Tyler, right. Mm -hmm. He's, you know, I feel like he can, like he says, he builds out his sets and he, I I agree with him when he says he, he's probably the best at building out a set Mm -hmm. and doing that stuff. But even he says like, look, you know, we, we all have different things where we think other people can do other stuff, but I think he can be undeniably funny, um, throughout the case i think joshua jordan i mean look he moved to houston he's started the same around the same time i did and he's uh killed the stone versus drunk versus sober he he can do well at the shows he does and i think he's getting to that point i can't wait to see where his career yeah. takes off in yeah, houston i think, and I think how he's he goes. A, i think he's a special case i think yeah. yeah absolutely i think he's the type of person that he's one that it wouldn't be fair mm-hmm. for anyone else to compare their yeah. career to his, their comedy career to his like no, he's the exception to the rule yeah yeah and and that's the thing is i don't like to compare myself i mean this is going to sound like a cliche bro thing <laughs> to say but i i really only compare to my, myself to who i was yesterday right. and mm-hmm. as long as i'm progressively getting better mm-hmm. incrementally mm-hmm. even if it's at a snail's pace which mm-hmm. some days i feel like i'm making big strides some days, not so much. Right. As long as I'm slowly developing at my own pace, because in my mind, I'm in it for the long run. I don't plan on quitting anytime soon. I don't feel like I'm going to quit ever, really. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I could genuinely see myself being 70 year old, 70 years old, geriatric and rolled out onto the stage doing jokes, you know, I generally don't see myself quitting anytime soon. Anyone here watch the Twilight Zone? (laughs) (laughs) All those people died. I'm sorry. Which I have to say, I've been having trouble, a little bit of trouble, like focusing because it hasn't left my mind. Uh That whole episode, the way you describe (laughs) that, where... He's, he thinks he's in hell. Uh, no, no. He keeps winning, and then it's not fun anymore. Yeah. And then he finds out that he's hell. Like, that's the dun-dun-dun. Yeah. You know? Like, how shitty TV used to be. You know? <laughs> it's so like, cheesy. It would be like, man, this sucks. I'm always winning. And then would be like, you're in hell. And be like, oh, well, <laughs> it's not so bad. Yeah. Did, yeah. They killed seven people, you know? <laughs> getting off light. <laughs> didn't they, like, like, family. Didn't they reboot Twilight Zone in, like, the 80s or they something? They did. Oh, they I'm did. Sure, yeah. yeah, I think they rebooted it a few times now. Yeah. That's yeah, a good show. I, lo- I love a good little psychological, like... Oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, like you said, like yeah. some dumb old cheesy yeah. TV. I love that. Like I, I there's a certain charm. Yeah, that, that like, I do you're love. in hell. <laughs> it's like, like the, yeah, the the reaction would be the complete opposite. You'd be like, oh, yeah. Well, this isn't so bad. I can keep playing this slot machine. <laughs> I know. Guess I'll just keep winning. Uh, yeah. yeah, it looks like I'll. A, I guess I'll keep going life. on stage and murdering <laughs> all mur- the time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I yeah, I killed I get every, it. I murdered every person I wanted to murder in life, yeah. and. And the worst thing is I win at gambling all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Now I wanted to re- to go back because I've, I've been waiting for someone to answer that question with that big th- 
sort of thing that we all know is part of the conversation. And, and you hit it as your first part of your response, which is that there is something inherently flawed about the whole concept of like, mm-hmm. what would you give up if it, mm-hmm. all your comedy dreams could come true? Because it is all about the process. Mm-hmm. And so the destination should not really, it's just the idea of skipping to the destination yeah. or knowing that it's all laid out and you can't fail. Yeah, that That's actually, exactly. there's something inherently wrong about it. And so we use the question purely to say, to, to just try to figure out what's something in your life that tugs a, tugs at you when you try to move towards comedy, maybe you're moving away from something else yeah. that's also really important to you that causes that strain or that tension. Because I completely agree with you that it really yeah. doesn't make sense to have any sort of like nepotism or, or whatever yeah. that leads to you, you know, getting an opportunity. Yeah. 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 And it's a fun question, but it is, it is flawed in a way too, that some of the answers I've heard people give, I think that at a different point in their life, they would give a different answer mm-hmm. or at a certain point they they would maybe regret it mm-hmm. or not regret it. Cause then it messes with the reality of the question. But I'm just saying, I think some of these people, they give an answer. Now we ask them the same question, like 10 years from now. Yeah. They would say something, something different, different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But definitely, I mean, which makes it a good away. question because we can, we can, when we have repeat guests, we can ask it again. Yeah, how's yeah. it changed? Yeah, how's yeah. it changed? Yeah, see, like last time, you know, how how do you feel now about it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, but yeah, to answer your yeah. question, yeah, mainly hobby because it's true. That's what it's been pulling me away from. Yeah. I literally wake up, I go to work, get off around five, I go hit a workout at the gym, mm-hmm. and by that time, it's time to go to whatever comedy open mic, and then it's eleven o'clock by or twelve o'clock by the time I get home, and I'm going back to bed, starting the process all over again. And you you mentioned like dating not really necessarily being like a, a big, big like focus. at the forefront. Yeah. And so it reminded me like, have you looked into stoicism at all? Like, do you have any sort of does, does stoicism have any attraction for you? Yeah. Um, what is that? I, I would do a bad. If if y'all don't already know, I would do a terrible job of explaining it because I don't really I know, know how like to explain a root it. Word, but I've never heard that. Like, yeah, stoicism stoic is is really more the idea of like not being ruled by your emotions and being more like logical and making making wise thought out decisions and and stuff like oh, that. But there's fuck, so much more like to, to it. Yeah. 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 Oh gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I we were all there's trying to do that. It. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. almost like it's kind of like stoicism is like a a way of life that's. It's not religion, but mm. it is like if there was a halfway point between being completely non-religious and secular and having no guiding principles at all or being like super religious. Stoicism is in the middle because it's yeah. it's, it's a lot more than just what I or, or in like like yeah, we all want to be um I'm going to look it up. You go make ahead. every do every just think practically and only do the practical thing, but yeah but we don't all, all we say we all want to be that but we if, if, we, a, if we made every decision like that we wouldn't get logic. married probably we wouldn't yeah. have children like which is some of the best like not not every decision you make is supposed to and sometimes i wish i was a little less like that i wish i, yeah. I was just like screw it take some risk do some stupid stuff you know 
But uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, I'd like to get all my ducks in a row before I yeah, make a decision. Yeah, I don't know. It kind of sounds like a pretty chicken shit way of living to me. <laughs> I hate to, I yeah, pass, what the hell, I hate Michael? Pass, what you doing, I hate, man? Pass, I hate to pass judgment on a lifestyle <laughs> I just learned about. Yeah, but, but stoics. Yeah. <laughs> all right, here, here's a simple terms explanation. It says, in simple terms, stoicism teaches us to focus on the things we can control, mm-hmm. uh, our thoughts, emotions, and actions, while accepting the things that we cannot, such as the actions of others or the natural natural course of events going in the world going on in the world around us so that that's a little bit aa it's kind of like sounds a little bit like you know yeah. the aa yeah, prayer or whatever yeah. but which i mean sounds pretty good it's based on great basically philosophy. for yeah. yeah and but uh to kind of answer that and kind of to wrap it back into comedy um yeah uh 100 and just to kind of bring it up into comedy uh terms again uh when i'm on stage or say i have like a bad set or something like that. Uh, you'll never hear me say something like, oh, well, it was a dead audience or such and such, or maybe the last person killed and I didn't. And because of that, I didn't do a good job or something like that. A, a lot of times it would come down to us like, man, they were really hot off of that last comedian. And I just didn't say the right words or get their attention enough to, to be able to, do a proper set or something like that. I always bring it back into what I personally mm-hmm. could do diff- right. differently compared to blaming it on this or that. Cause the comedy ego in me thinks like, well, there could have been some combination of words or something I could have done mm-hmm. to have changed the outcome of what happened. Yeah. I think we kind of both yeah. from talking. I think that's kind of how we try to be too. Yeah. To not like blame a bad, like if you have a bad set, not blame it on things that you have like, well, there wasn't an all answer. Sometimes it's good to keep you grounded. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like where so you could be like, Oh, it wasn't, it wasn't as good as the other night, but it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, there's only four people here. Like you can't get any more laughter than four people laughing. Right. But what I'm yeah. saying is like, we're like, you'll, I don't ever want to, blame me doing badly on something because the if something's out of your control it's out of your control if anything at the very least if i had a bad set because of something out of my control mm-hmm. well i feel short because i need to know how to fix it. you know what i mean yeah part of being a great comedian is knowing how to overcome whatever mm-hmm. um, unpredictable thing that could happen to make you have a bad set and you, you also know? know in a weird way, intuitively, when you've done the best you possibly could with the environment you're in. If you know for a fact that you've done the best you could and you really you're you're not gonna feel bad. You're not gonna have yeah. that that weird that weird gross feeling that you have after a set when you're like, Oh, I could have done this or that. It was I did everything to the best of my ability at the skill level I am now. And uh I, I I couldn't have asked for anything different. I, mm-hmm. and yeah. that's, that's it, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's going to be really great. And sometimes it's, you know, it's, there's four people in the audience, but mm-hmm. you know, at yeah, the end of the day, it still comes it. back to you. Yeah. 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 I'd agree. Well, let's get your dates and socials out there. Do you have any upcoming dates you want to plug or any events? Really right now? I'm just working on getting better, cutting my teeth at the open mics, but as the segue, we do have our open mic every Wednesday at the station. Make sure to sign up by 8.30. We should start the show around 9-ish. We can do it on comedy time. We're going to keep that comedy train rolling. And then uh, when it comes to socials, um, 
I guess I'm more active on um, Instagram more than anything. Uh, I mean, it's uh, Garrett underscore does uh, underscore stand up. Mm-hmm. If you want to come check me out, follow me. You can. You don't have to. I don't. I don't really post that much, but I need. I need to. Again, I suck at marketing. Trying to get undeniably <laughs> funny, then I'll market. But um, yeah, I mean, you've got the voice for it. You know? <laughs> but uh, Garrett with two R's and two T's. Best way to spell it. Yeah. None of this weird one T crap. Mm, that's those right. are the worst. Mm-hmm. Don't trust those guys with the one T carrots. Yeah. Take your ass out of here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah low T having ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right. Well, you guys uh, keep plugging away at it, and we'll see you next week.